0: Hey everybody, this is Wanda and I just wanted to say welcome to this week's episode of Bible Briefs. I know you're here for the story, so let's get right into it. This being our first week, I do want to apologize. I had the mic on too loud when I was recording and so if it sounds like a subdued shouting the whole way through, that was because my mic was too high. Sorry about that. I'll get better. Thanks. And now for the story. All right, so we're going to start at the very beginning, which they tell me is a very good place to start. (laughs) The beginning, when the world was still formless and empty, but God's spirit was hovering over it. Then God spoke, let there be light, and light came into existence. And God separated the light and the darkness into day and night. The next day, God spoke again to separate the sky and sea. The day after that he spoke again and separated land and sea, and he commanded the land to produce every kind of plant. Then God began to fill all he had made. On the fourth day he spoke and filled the sky with sun, moon, and stars to mark times and seasons. On the fifth day he spoke and filled the sky with birds and the sea with fish. On the sixth day he filled the land with every kind of animal. And then God said, Let's make mankind to be like us and to reign over all the other creatures we have made. So God formed a man out of dirt from the ground, then breathed life into him. And God prepared a garden with many fruit trees, including two special trees, a tree whose fruit gave life and a tree whose fruit gave the knowledge of good and evil. He put the man in that garden and told him he could eat from all the trees in the garden except one the tree whose fruit gave the knowledge of good and evil. If he were to eat from that tree, he would die. Then God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make the perfect ally for him. But first God brought all of the animals to the man to see what he would call them. And the man named them all. Yet the man's perfect ally wasn't found among those animals. So God put him to sleep and took one of his ribs to fashion this perfect ally. And when God brought her to the man, he exclaimed, She's made from my very flesh and bone. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Then God blessed them both and said, Have lots of babies, fill the earth, and govern it. And God looked over all he had made, and it was very good. So having completed his creation, on the seventh day, God rested. And he set apart the seventh day as a sacred day reserved for God. We don't know how long this state of affairs continued. We just know that one day the serpent, the most cunning of all the animals God made, said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman replied, It's just the fruit from that one tree in the middle of the garden. God said we'd die if we ate it or even touched it. You won't die, the serpent replied, but God knows that as soon as you eat it, The knowledge of good and evil will be revealed to you, and you'll be like God. Well, the fruit looked good, and it would give her insight, so she took some, ate it, and gave some to her husband, who was right there with her, and he ate it too. Then they realized for the first time that they were naked, and they were so ashamed of it that they sewed some leaves together to cover themselves. Later that day, when God came down to visit, they hid from him. And God called out to the man, Where are you? And the man replied, I heard you, but I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? It was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate. So God asked the woman, What have you done? And she replied, I ate it because the serpent tricked me. So God cursed the serpent to crawl on its belly and put a perpetual hatred between the serpent and the woman and their descendants. He warned the woman that both her pain and her childbearing would increase. She would give birth to her children in pain and that with her desire for her husband, he would rule over her. And to the man, he said that because he had listened to his wife instead of obeying God, the ground would be cursed and it would be a constant struggle to grow enough food to eat until the day he died and returned to the dirt he came from. At this time, the man, Adam, named his wife Eve. Then God made them clothes from animal skins, and realizing how terrible it would be for them to now be able to eat from the tree of life and live forever, he banished them from the garden and placed a flaming sword and an angel to stand guard over the garden. Life went on for Adam and Eve, and they had two sons named Cain and Abel. When the boys grew up, Cain became a farmer, and Abel raised animals. At harvest time, they both brought an offering to God. Abel offered the best of his new lambs to God, and Cain offered some of his crops. And God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's, which made Cain angry. And God confronted him, asking, Why are you angry? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse, be on your guard. Sin is crouching at the door, ready to take over, and you must overcome it. Cain didn't listen, and one day he lured his brother Abel out into the fields where he attacked and killed him. God confronted Cain by asking him, Where's your brother Abel? And Cain responds, I don't know. Is it my job to keep track of him? But God knew what Cain had done and told him that no matter how hard he worked, From now on, the ground that had absorbed his brother's blood would never grow crops for him again. So he must be a homeless wanderer the rest of his life. But God marked Cain to warn anyone who thought to kill him that God would give them an even more severe punishment if they did. After that, things just kept getting worse and worse until God was sorry he'd ever made people because their every thought had become so completely evil. It was so bad that he decided to destroy all life on earth. But there was one good man left, Noah. So God told Noah that he was going to flood the whole earth and destroy every living thing. But he wanted Noah to build a huge boat to save himself, his wife, his three sons and their wives, and every kind of animal from the coming destruction. Noah did as God asked, and when everything was ready, the ship had been built, all of the animals and food had been loaded and stored on board, and God had shut the door for them to seal them in, God unleashed a torrential rain, and it poured nonstop for 40 days. The waters rose and completely covered the earth for five months. Then Noah's boat ran aground on a mountain peak. It was another two and a half months before the other mountain peaks became visible, and Noah began to release birds, first a raven, then a dove, to see if they could find dry ground to land on or any plants growing. After over a year on the boat, the ground was finally dry again, and God told Noah to release the animals and leave the boat. Once everyone had left the boat, Noah built an altar and offered sacrifices to God. Don't worry, God had him take some extra of those animals on the boat. And God was pleased with the sacrifices. He blessed Noah and his sons and told them, have lots of babies and fill the earth. And he also told them that all of the animals would be terrified of them from that day on because now the animals would be food for them as well. And God made an unbreakable promise to them that he would never again destroy all life on earth in a flood. And he told them that the rainbow would be a reminder to both them and him of this promise. Noah and his sons had many descendants And some generations later, these descendants found a nice flat plain and decided to settle there and build a city with a tower that reached all the way to heaven so that they would be famous and wouldn't be spread over all the earth. When God came down and saw that they were united both in purpose and language against his command to fill the earth, he decided to confuse their language so that they could no longer understand one another. Instead, they just heard babbling, so they called that place Babel. And so God stopped construction on the tower and scattered the people across the face of the earth. Some of those so scattered went to a land called Uz, not to be confused with that place that has a wizard, a yellow brick road, and an emerald city. And among their descendants, there was a man named Job. Job always did what was right and avoided doing evil. He was the richest man around with 10 children and over 10,000 animals. They were so rich that his children would regularly host multi-day parties for each other. Early in the morning after these parties ended, Job would get up and offer sacrifices to purify his children just in case they had sinned. One day Satan, whose name means the accuser, came before God. God asked him where he had come from and he replied that he'd been on earth, checking out everything that's going on there. And God asks him, did you see my man Job? He's the best guy on earth. He worships me and always does what is right. And Satan is like, well, of course he does. You've made him rich and protect everything he owns. But if you let him suffer a couple losses, he'd turn and curse you to your face. And God says, fine, you can do whatever you want to his stuff and family, but you can't lay a finger on him. So Satan goes out and arranges for the worst day imaginable for Job. First, one of his workers comes to tell him, raiders came and killed everyone. They took all the animals with us. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Before he finished, one of Job's shepherds came and said, there was a great fire that burned up all the sheep and all the other shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. He hadn't finished speaking when another messenger came and said, raiders surprised us too and took all your camels and killed all the other men with them. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And he hadn't finished speaking before the final messenger came and said, Your children were all feasting in their brother's house. A great wind swept in and blew the house down. It killed them all. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. When they had finished speaking, Job grieved, and then said, I started with nothing, and I can keep nothing after death. God gave it, and God took it away. Let his name be blessed. And he did not turn against God. So Satan came back before God, and God said, See, Job has stayed loyal. And Satan said, He's just glad he's still alive and unharmed. But if he suffers physically, he'll curse you to your face for sure. And God replied, Do what you want with him, but you can't kill him. Satan went out and inflicted terrible sores on Job from head to toe. Even Job's wife said to him, Seriously, why continue to stay true? Just curse God and die already. But Job replied to her, Should we accept only good things from God and never bad? Well, three of Job's friends heard about the losses he'd suffered and came to comfort him. But when they saw all he was suffering, they grieved and sat with him in silence for a week because there were no words. When Job finally speaks after that, he begins to curse the day he was born, wishing he'd been stillborn because death is far preferable to the miserable life he's living now. His friend Eliphaz responds to him that Job was always the one to encourage suffering people in the past. Why should he of all people feel so hopeless now? Doesn't he believe that God will deliver him because of his goodness? Go to God and plead your case. He's going to get you through this. But Job responds to Eliphaz, My suffering is greater than you can imagine. God has attacked me. Don't I have the right to complain? I wish he'd just kill me already. The only bright spot of comfort in all this is that I haven't cursed or denied him. Shouldn't you show me kindness rather than mocking me and accusing me? Stop assuming I'm guilty. Do you think I'm lying to you or that I don't know right from wrong? Then Job continues complaining to God that his life is hopeless and he'll never be happy again? And why can't God leave him alone for his last few days before he dies? And at this, Job's friend Bildad pipes up. How long are you going to keep on like this? Do you think God can behave unjustly? Your children must have done evil and deserved their fate. But if you just pray and seek God's favor and live a good life, he would restore you. That's how it's always worked. And Job responds, yeah, I know all that's true in theory, but how can someone get declared innocent before God? He's so much stronger and wiser than we are. Who could win a challenge against him? Who can stop him from claiming someone in death? Who would even dare ask him, what are you doing? So even if I'm in the right, all I can do is plead for mercy. He's stronger than me, and who would dare take God to court to demand justice? So why bother trying to defend myself against him? If only there were a mediator. Someone to stand between us that could judge us both. I've got to complain, so let me complain freely. I'll ask God again to tell me what the charges are against me. What does he gain by crushing me? God, you made me, yet now you're completely destroying me. You gave me a good life. Were you just waiting for me to sin so you could punish and not forgive me? Why didn't you just let me die when I was born? Just leave me alone now so I can have some peace before I die. And then Job's third friend, Zophar, responds, How can I keep silent while you mock God like this? You claim to be clean in God's sight, but it's obvious God's punishing you, and far less than you deserve. If you'd change your heart and pray and turn from your sinful ways, then life would be good again, and you'd be strong and protected with nothing to fear. And Job responds, You've got it all figured out, don't you? Everyone knows everything you're saying, but I'm mocked because I'm just and blameless, and I expect an answer when I call on God. Even the animals know that what's happened to me comes from God because all life is in his hands. But true wisdom can only be found in God. And Job again protests that he wants to present his case directly to God and hear God's case against him, even if it kills him. His friends in on him again, but Job continues to protest his innocence, saying that he knows he has a witness and advocate in heaven and needs someone to mediate between him and God as someone would mediate between friends. And a bit later, he protests that he knows his Redeemer lives and will one day stand upon the earth. And even though his body has decayed by then, yet he's confident he'll see God with his own eyes. But it just doesn't seem fair that a righteous man like him suffers so much while those who are far less righteous live pleasant lives. Seriously, they keep going on for over 30 chapters of this back and forth with a fourth guy joining in once the first three give up trying to convince Job that he's done something wrong that he needs to acknowledge. But finally, God shows up to speak with Job and he says, Who is questioning me and my wisdom? Brace yourself because I'm asking the questions now and you will answer. Where were you when I made the world? Who sets the boundaries for the sea? Can you call forth the dawn, find the source of the sea? Of course you know all this. You were born before I made it all and have so much experience. Do you know where the snow and hail are stored? How do you get to the source of light and wind? Who makes the rainfall and directs the lightning? Can you move the stars? Can you order the seasons? Do you know the laws of the universe and can you use them to make changes to the earth? Can you find food for wild animals? Have you watched them give birth? Did you set the wild donkey free? Can you tame a wild ox and keep him in your barn and have him plow your fields? Now, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Do you have all the answers? And Job replied, I've said too much already. I've got nothing more to say. And God starts in again. Are you as strong as God? Then gather your glory and majesty and give vent to your anger. Humiliate the proud and crush the wicked and even all be impressed at your strength. But just compare yourself to the great behemoth. I made it just like I made you. See how strong it is? Or how about the great sea monster Leviathan? Can you catch it and make it a pet? If you even tried it, you'd remember the battle and never try that again. If no one is a match for it, Who dare stand up to me? And when God finished, Job replied, I was talking about things I didn't know anything about. I'd heard about you before, but now I've seen you and I take back everything I said. And God said to Job's friends, I'm angry with you because you haven't spoken the truth about me like Job did. So offer burnt offerings and ask Job to pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not give you what you deserve for not speaking the truth about me. And the friends did as God said, and God accepted Job's prayers for them. And when Job prayed for his friends, God started to give Job back double what he'd lost. And he ended up with over 20,000 animals and had another 10 children. And Job lived another 140 years, long enough to see his great-great-grandchildren and have a long and full life. And that's the end of our story for this week. Now that the story's over, it's time for our processing questions. So here are our processing questions. Feel free to think through them yourself or if you're listening to this with a group, pause the audio and talk amongst yourselves about these. What did you like about this story? What did you not like or find confusing and uncomfortable in this story? What did you learn about God from this story? What did you learn about people from this story? And what does God want you to do in light of this story? just one last thing before you go and that is if you are enjoying this series and you find it beneficial I'd really appreciate it if you would like subscribe and share this with your friends and I will catch you on the next episode of Bible Briefs.